What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 90. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? Going well, man. 90 episodes. We've sat down to do this 90 times. Can you believe that? That's no. Are, are you sure <laughs> this is real? Uh, maybe nine. That sounds a bit right. Like maybe we're off by a digit. We're off by an order of magnitude. As an astronomer, I'm okay with that. <laughs> the errors are within orders of magnitude. There you go. Well, this week we're talking about going big mode and more on that in a bit. Before we get into all of that, of course, our usual housekeeping, check out the Discord if you're not in there already. It's the best place to be to interact with us, interact with the rest of the community, and just get a lot of interesting tips on the format. So check that out. The link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pod. Huge, huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful for all of you. And definitely check it out if you're interested in supporting us. We've got perks over there like stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show with some pre-show banter, and our Draft Chaff Hero cards, which we send to each and every one of our patrons. So definitely check that out if you're interested in all of that. We also have our first office hours for our Squadron Hawk tier patrons coming up this month, actually, just a couple of weeks from now on the 26th of March. That'll be happening, so check that out. That's also in the Discord, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Should be fun. All right, on to our crack a draft type thing. This week, Ben's bringing us a pack two, pick three. So walk us through it. I'm just trying to find the weirdest picks that I can find at this point. <laughs> I mean, pack pack two, pick three. Why not? These other podcasts out there doing like pack one, pick ones and stuff. Nah, we we play by different rules here. So this draft was stupid. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know how else to say it. Pack one, pick one, I took Yugen Defends the Temple. You know, just Green Mythic, it is one of the highest win rates in the set. Perfectly happy to first pick it. And then I got past green. Basically, just one or two good green cards in every pack. And the green was not flowing. You know, it, it would be like one fang of Shigeki and no other green cards in the pack. But I thought to myself, you know what? If I can pick up enough green coming from the other direction, maybe I can make a good green deck and pair it with whatever colors open to my right. So... I decided to move in on green and I got paid off because in pack two, after taking mostly green cards in pack one, in fact, almost entirely green cards, uh, I opened a Hura of the Boundless Sky, which is obviously an awesome bomb, the green dragon. So, so far in my deck, I have two Fang of Shigeki, two Commune with Spirits, a Coiling Stalker, Master's Rebuke, Yugen Defends the Temple, Season of Renewal, Harmonious Emergence, Hura of the Boundless Sky, and actually a Vesager who endures. And I've got some other junk floating around. I've got a in college terrarium, awakened awareness, anchor to reality. That stuff's not making it in. I'm pretty much modern green at this point. And I'm all the way down to pack two, pick three. So I cut green pretty hard from the right, and I ended up getting paid off for it because now I was I was pretty confident that green would be open from the other direction as well. And it was. So coming around this time, I have in this pack, I have a Blossoming Sands. You know, nice to see. Green, white land. I'm not touching white very much right now. I'm not really touching any other color. So, you know, a great thing about staying monocolored this deep into a draft is that you really have the option to take whatever off-color card you open. If you open like a black mythic, you can just slam it and boom, you're green black, right? Nuzumi Blade Blesser is next in the pack. It's fine. Definitely chaff. Not trying to take it here. Same with Moonsnare Prototype. <sighs> Kami's Flare. 
Yeah. <laughs> could maybe move into it here. I mean, it's a solid removal spell, but yeah, what else? Iron of Boar. I like this card. Sometimes the artifact decks don't ever want to hit their sixth land. And I've been thinking about this more as a combat trick that every once in a while you will. Maybe if you're really going in the over-the-top, quote-unquote, big mode decks, as we're going to talk about a bit today. Ink Rise Infiltrator, not nearly good enough to start swaying me towards any other colors. And, uh, well, that was six cards out of the pack so far. What if I told you that the entire rest of the pack, minus maybe one, is all a consideration? That sounds like a good place to be in. Also a little bit sad, because usually in those situations you want to take more than one card out of the pack, but probably going to wheel something. Yeah, I'll be honest. There's a lot of things to consider here. Harmonious Emergence is up next. This one I have liked. This is the aura that you slap on a land, it becomes a 4-5 Vigilance and uh, Haste. Yeah, it seems fine, I guess. I, I've not been extremely thrilled with it, but it's it's a you know functional card. I mean, you can put it in your deck as maybe your 23rd uh, playable or something. And it does work when it works, but what else do we have? Mm -hmm. Next up, Favor of Jukai. This is the aura that gives something plus 3, plus 3 in reach. Or you can channel it to give plus three, plus three and reach. Yeah, I found this card. I think I would take this over the emergence. I, I found this to be a little bit more flexible than that. And being able to stop pesky flyers in the decks that can't really do anything about them is pretty valuable. Both of these green cards, potential picks, but let's go to the next one. A much better green common, Fade into Antiquity, that exiles an artifact or enchantment. I will put as many of these as I can get in any green deck. I've just found no downside, no diminishing returns here. No, I mean, three mana exile pretty much anything and that's relevant in the format so <laughs> yeah i'll take it you know what's weird jingataxius isn't an artifact doesn't it look like it should be an artifact or like sh shouldn't it i don't know our phyrexians i guess even the completed ones aren't truly artifacts yeah i don't think any of them have been i'm just thinking about like the original printing of the card what was the original one artifact, an artifact? Thing, then? Uh, i don't think it was maybe it was just like a I don't know, they're, they're weird. I feel like if anything is an artifact creature, shouldn't Phyrexians be? They're by definition like bio-modified with yeah, you know, well, robot parts. Yeah, well, they're like praetors that are completed. Maybe they're not considered artifacts. Yeah, whatever. I, I found it the hard way that Fade can't actually kill Jin. Not that it would have mattered. <laughs> once once your opponent plays Jin, it's, it's usually not looking great. Uh, that's it for our commons. So far, Fade seems like the pretty easy pick. Yep, I'm on board. Now, we actually have four uncommons because one of them is a saga. And again, maybe, you know, three of these four, I think, are very strong contenders. First up, Gravelighter. This is the flying 2-2. If a creature died this turn, you draw a card when it enters the battlefield. If not, you each sack a creature. found this to be pretty good. You can maybe make a token or get a weaker creature to trade for their slightly more expensive one. Yeah, it definitely can be good. I found it to be fairly awkward a few times, though. Like, you really need to set up that death trigger. Mm, to, yeah, to, to get value better. out of this i've i've had a few situations where i've held this in my hand and i just can't really play it because if i do they sack one of their worst creatures and i have to sack the grave lighter or one yeah. of my slightly better like it can be pretty awkward so make sure you have ways to fuel it and ways to actually get the death thing going but otherwise it's it's fairly good yeah I will say I've made some pretty fun attacks with Gravelighter in hand. Uh, yeah, yeah, it sets up some interesting combats. I particularly enjoyed jamming a 1-1 into my opponent's like giant wall of blockers and just saying, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> if it dies, I'm going to draw a card. If it doesn't, then I guess I sack the 1-1 and they sack something a little better. Works out. Right. Yeah, I mean, in that case, when you have the 1-1 token fl floating around, like you can't really go wrong. But Next up, Gloom Shrieker. That is the black-green signpost uncommon. It gets a permanent back from the graveyard. It's a 2-1 menace, and if it would die, uh, exile instead. 
card is nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's super solid. I don't really see a reason not to play it in any deck that can cast it. Like, it doesn't really need to fit into a deck like most signposts do. This one is just like, if you have green mana, if you have black mana, play this and you'll be happy. And sometimes permanents are more than they seem. I mean, Colossal Sky Turtle is a removal spell and also a reanimation spell attached to a permanent spell. And other things that have channel can do other effects like that. So Gloomshaker can get back stuff you've channeled. It can get back stuff you've traded off. It can get back your bomb. It can get back your sagas. It can get back another Gloomshrieker if you milled it somehow or, <laughs> I mean, discarded it. Yeah, the, the Gloomshrieker is really strong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough for me at this point between the Gloomshrieker and the Fade. I don't see too much removal in your deck at this point unless you count the Fang of Shigekis, which I, you can do. And we'll talk about more in, in a, about that in a bit. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I would need to see like the rest of this pack and how this draft has gone in terms of can I expect to find black cards throughout the rest mm -hmm. of the format? Or should I stay open and just pick the green one here? Yeah, this would be committing. Although, as we found in this format, committing to a second color isn't really that much of a commitment, especially on a card like Gloom Shrieker that you tend to not want to play on turn three anyway. If you draw your swamp turn six, and maybe, sure, it's been rotting in your hand for a bit, but then you're like, oh, okay, play this, get back my three drop, replay my three drop. Like, Yeah, it tends out. to get you the value you need as soon as you play it. So it, it's okay to hold mm -hmm. on to it for a little bit, yeah. Next up, Futurist Operative. This one has been disappointing. It's just kind of clunky. Really, really cool flavor and design-wise, though. This is the 4-mana 3-4 that when it's uh, attacking, it is a unblockable 1-1, one, one, and then you can pay 3 to untap it. Yeah, nice little ninjutsu enabler, but not really doing that here, so... Yep. Also, it is annoying that this can just be a really, really slow form of, like, guaranteed damage. Yeah, I mean, it pings them for one a turn, basically. Unless they untap it, and then it starts chunking. Well, sure. Last but not least, Azusa's Many Journeys. That's the one of the green saga, lets you play an additional land, lets you gain three life, and then it flips into a 3-3, three, three, and if it becomes blocked, untap up to three lands. Which I've actually had come up a few times. And the deeper you go in the set, the more you start finding all these little, little micro things. I actually had one game where I got to attach a grafted growth, that's the aura that uh, let's him land tap for two mana. I use my mana to attach that to a land, attacked with the Azusa's Many Journeys. They were forced to block it, got to untap all my lands, now with additional mana thanks to the aura, and then play an even bigger thing. It was a good time. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, it sounds like it could be great. And in the, some of these big kind of go wide or, sorry, not go wide, go big decks, you might want that. I still think you'd rather have the fade at, at this point in the draft over this Azusa's Many Journeys, though. Now, do we want the fade over the Gloom Shrieker? Yeah, that one's a little closer in my book, and I'm not sold on, on either of the two over the other. I, I really think I can't fault you for taking either here. I think for me personally, I probably would have ended up taking the fade into Antiquity here and just hoping to potentially wield a Gloom Shrieker. I don't know what the rest of the what the rest of the, the pod is looking like in terms of who is favoring black, but I think if you take the fade, you're likely to get either the Azusa's Many Journeys or the Gloom Shrieker back, and you're happy with getting either, so. Yeah, in hindsight, I think the fade might have been the pick. I did take the Gloom Shrieker out of this pack, and I was very happy about it. You know, I ended up playing it and, and all that good stuff, but I don't know. Maybe fade would have been the, the pick here. Yeah, I think you're just light on removal, so I, I would have liked to get it just to shore up that side of the deck. And, I mean, it doesn't look like you even have that much to channel yet at this point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I mean, getting back a Fang of Shigeki is nice as it, you know, Gloom Shrieker gets back my removal spell, huh? That's true. No, I mean, that is a consideration. Yeah, I think it's really close. 
Close, but not clear. Maybe if I had already had like a few geothermal commies, the gloom streak would become more obvious. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's hard for me to finally accept that green black is good in the format, and then uh, I'm not I'm not in the habit of passing gloom streakers. Well, for, you finally give it to him, and he can't even recognize that it's a thing. Yeah, I mean, come on, green black is good again. What, what more can I say? All right, on to our Teferi Tibble. This is a roses and thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, kick us off with your Teferi Tibble. Right, so my Teferi, people in the Discord know about this one already. I went to game day over the weekend, and I had a bit of a good run. I think I went around five hours without losing a game of Magic. And and that that actually includes the game of Modern that I played off on the side and the game of Commander that I played wow. off on the side in, in between rounds. I, I had quite the run. I started out 10-0 and 0 after first picking the Kami War. And for those that haven't drafted in person in a while, when you have double-sided cards in person in draft... For the sake of making sure everyone has equal information, if you choose a double-sided card, you generally announce it to the table so that, you know everyone sees that you have it. Maybe someone would have seen the back anyway. It's just kind of for, for the sake of making sure everyone you know knows what some person could know from maybe seeing it in someone else's hand. So I was uh, proudly able to open up my first pack, look at the back, see a Kami War, and go, hey, everyone, I am taking the Kami War. <laughs> which got some good reactions out of the people at the table. I I had people coming up to me later going like, were you taking all my dual lands? (laughs) I was like, yep, yes, I was. So I I posted the deck list in Discord. It was awesome. And it was actually one of the inspirations for today's topic. I had so much fun with this deck. It was one of the most fun decks I have played in Limited in a very long time. It was basically, it wound up being green, black, good stuff. Splashing blue and then uh, splashing the other colors to cast the Kami War, which I did a few times. And it was awesome. I did lose in the finals, but I came in second overall, and that was good enough for a a good chunk of store credit. So that was that was a great time. That's awesome. Yeah, I kind of I wish I had been a fly on the wall to see the the faces of the rest of the pod when you when you announce the Kami War pack one pick one. That's it's a ballsy move, man. Oh, it was. Thing is, as soon as I announced it. I realized, well, people are going to know about this. I have to kind of just commit to the bit. So then I started announcing. I mean, I, I took other sagas. So I, I announced shortly after. I think my, my second pick was like Life of Toshiro. And then after that, Long Reach of Night. And then everyone's starting to go, uh-oh. <laughs> what was this guy up to over there? Pack two, I slammed to Behold the Unspeakable. And after that, you know, there was a, a world where I was in just like good stuff, but th- this this deck was nuts. We're going to talk about what you can do with a, a bunch of good high value rares later on. Awesome. Anyway, my my table, I did lose in the finals. I guess I can't complain too much about that, but it would have been nice to, to win a game day again. I've only ever won a single game day of which I do have my mat, of which I am very proud, but it would have been nice. They don't give out mats anymore. They give out the... It was a mythic. I think it was the red dragon with a like stamp on it that says like you got this at game day. I don't know. It's nowhere close to a mat. So uh, the experience was was the fun part. Uh, overall, right now life's a bit stressful. I guess things are speeding up around the school and you know clubs, extracurriculars, making sure I have grades in on time. Kind of nearing the end of the the winter months is. I don't know. So, sometimes when it's cold, it's just kind of a drag, you know. Yeah, for sure. Especially with like just how at least here in the Northeast, like how overcast it is like all the time. It's like rare to get a a nice, sunny, decent weather day, which actually kind of segues into my Tybalt. The weather this, this past week has been just completely bipolar. Like we had, we had a a weekend with like mid sixties and then into the seventies with nice, like some sun and then it rained a bit. 
And then literally the next day it snowed. And I was like, are you kidding me? Can you just make up your mind, please? Yeah, like it, it wouldn't be as bad if it was cold for a while or like warmer for a while. But the fact that it keeps like going back and forth and messing with us, like, come on, man. Yeah, it's just not not something I'm interested in. My Teferi this week is, well, I've got a few of them. First is that I saw the Batman. Any longtime listener knows that I am a huge Batman fan. I've seen The Dark Knight 138 times. <laughs> yes, I've counted. Yes, I can quote the whole film. And so Nuts. this movie meant a lot to me just in terms of like being the first Batman film that I thought from trailers and just press releases and stuff that it might actually be a contender as a better movie potentially than The Dark Knight. Was it? I don't think you can actually compare the two. They're extremely different films. Oh, Basically, the only thing that that links those two movies is that the Batman is in it, each of them. Hmm. But otherwise, they're completely different films. I do need to see the Batman a few more times before I can give a verdict as to whether it's going to knock the Dark Knight off of its high horse in terms of whether I find it to be the best Batman film made. But I think you have to see it exactly 137 more times to, <laughs> to really get a good comparison going. Yeah, I, I definitely need to see it at least a few more times. I don't know if I'll watch it that many times. I think I value my time a little bit more now than I used to. But. <laughs> also, this one is twice as long. Right? It's not quite twice as long. No, it's like, I mean, The Dark Knight's a long film, too. The Batman is almost three hours. I think it's like two hours and 50 minutes. So it's like maybe a half hour longer than The Dark Knight or 20 minutes longer. But it's not actually that much longer. Um, Still long enough to make me want to potentially wait until I can pause it, go to the bathroom, and come back. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. My other Tibbles, um, this weekend my mom came up to visit me and she spent six hours helping me clean my apartment and like reorganizing mm-hmm. stuff. And and it was nice. just such a blessing. I really could not. I, I, I'm not into cleaning the way she is. And she does a great mm-hmm. thorough job. So she was like showing me all the things I need to do to keep up with and and uh yeah it was great it was a huge blessing yeah it's great and then the last t- uh teferi i have is that my dog sheds like a maniac and i have not been able <laughs> to figure out how to fix that but i found out there are these things called shedding tools and my dog's a short-haired dog so i brushes like typical brushes haven't really worked too well but i found these things called shedding tools and essentially they go they're combs or like basically fine tooth combs but they they go into the undercoat and pull hair from the undercoat rather than just mm. the top coat and it has helped tremendously. So I don't have to deal with as much dog hair anymore, which is fantastic because she seriously sheds like a monster. For the listener, uh, Zach's dog is just about the chillest dog I've ever met. <laughs> she is pretty chill. She kind of acts like she's high all the time. Like <laughs> she she does, just like yeah. loafs around and does nothing. It's pretty great. <laughs> my, my favorite was when we were playing Magic. And she kind of just came over and just set her head on top of some of my lands. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, I'm, I'm here now. Yeah, good stuff. All right, on to our listener question of the week. And this week, our question comes from Wolverine in the Discord. And the question is, what's more important to limited success, drafting skills or gameplay skills? Ooh, okay. Here's a way to think about this. Would you rather have like an average deck and then you're asked to pilot it? Or would you rather be told that an average player is going to pilot a deck that you draft. Yeah, I mean, that that's a good way to set it up as to, like, which of your skills do you think is better for you personally, right? Like, which are you mm. better at? I think in general, it's better to have gameplay skills. I think pilot, like, really good pilots can make a bad deck work Absolutely. in a lot of situations, yeah. whereas bad pilots can't really win with an amazing deck in a lot of situations. So 
To me, mm. that says that the gameplay skills matter more than the draft skills do, but there obviously is a link between the two. The better your deck and the better a player you are, the better you're going to do overall. So I don't think you can ignore one or the other, but if you had to pick, t- like, say, I'm only spending time improving one of the two, I'd probably start with gameplay. Yeah, I agree. I think to answer my own question, I would rather be given a deck that was drafted by an average drafter and told that I have to pilot it now. Well, I think you're a little more in control with the gameplay skills. Those are the, you make the choices you make. Yes, there's some yeah. randomization in terms of what you're drawing when, but but you're making choices. And we've seen even just in a few live streams, right, that there are some situations where it feels like your back is against the wall and a little bit of thought gets you out of them in ways you never thought otherwise would have thought possible right so mm-hmm. i think having that sort of level of control and being able to rely on your own skills is what makes the gameplay piece feel better in terms of making that choice of which you'd rather do whereas like drafting is also skill intensive but also relies a lot more on luck in terms of what did i open what are my opponents passing me what did they open in the first place like sometimes you're in the right seat for your pod and the deck you build is just kind of meh that just so happens yeah. to be like you were in the right seat, but the cards that were opened for those colors just weren't high quality. And it happens. Mm-hmm. I think as modern magic has evolved, it's harder and harder to get a truly bad deck. I think that's why vector theory has gotten more and more important because we've been able to pinpoint these, these you know micro advantages we can get from knowing exactly how our cards work with one another and exactly how to pilot a deck that is pointed in one direction. But overall, it's... It's funny enough, actually, I had a, a game where my, my arena client crashed and the bots did a chunk of the drafting for me. And when I got back, it was not what I'd wanted. You know, like I ended up getting a refund for it. The bots made some very questionable picks, but I think I still went like three and three or four and three with the deck. <laughs> like, uh, and I was playing with junk. I, I got to a point where I looked at my deck and I only had like 16 things that I was happy to put in. And even then, I was starting to splash other colors that I that I wasn't a big fan of. I think I ended up playing 18 lands in that deck just because. Wow. But yeah, overall, I think because card quality has kind of gone up, that's also an aspect of this. A good pilot will make good use of those cards no matter what, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Great question, Wolverine. Now, I do want to shout out in the topic of uh, interacting with the listener. First of all, send us some more listener questions. In fact, uh, I'm going to toss an arena code to, to the next person that you know puts a listener question in Discord. Because why not? I have another one. Speaking of arena codes, uh, there's two actually that I need to give out. Last week, I asked when suit up is at its best. It's the tuna blue instant to give a creature you control uh, power and toughness 4-5 until end of turn, and you draw a card. We had some good discussion actually between Moon and Mina Kang in the Discord, so... I'll just send them both arena codes because why not, right? I, I liked the uh, the discussion that was going on there. What I was thinking in my head was it's at its true best when your creature is small and getting blocked because you know they they're likely blocking maybe your one one or their two two with their two three or three three and then boom you've got a four five you win the combat and you draw a card. I mean you can kind of think of this as like a a pump spell with draw a card attached. Sure, you can get blown out by it every once in a while, but then when are pump spells at their best? When you're using a pump spell to trade for your opponent's creature uh, that they've already put mana into, and maybe you're using one of your smaller creatures and putting that at risk and hopefully not spending that much mana on the pump spell itself. Sure, this one costs three, but you're drawing a card off of it, so it's it's pretty solid. So uh, they they had some discussion that kind of centered around those ideas, so uh, they know this already by now because they've already gotten the DM, but uh, 
enjoy your codes. Let me know what's on them. I genuinely don't know. All right, on to our main topic this week, and we are talking about going big mode. Last week, we talked a bit about how Spirited Companion and Virus Beetle both are really awesome cards, but they kind of play into slightly different game plans. And one of those game plans we talked about was the late game sort of Enchantress deck, right? But there's a lot more in this format to that deck than just Enchantress. So we wanted to kind of go into that. Ben's had a lot of experience with this archetype or vector, as it were, in the recent past. So we're going to walk through kind of what it takes to make these decks tick, why you should be looking to play them, and kind of the secret to to going so far over the top of your opponent that they just don't really have any options to stop you. Right, so I think it'd be good to discuss what going over the top even means. So when you go over the top, it kind of means that you set up a board or a game state or something that is so far beyond the point of your opponent interacting or stopping it that you know they, they just kind of have to concede. Going over the top can look like a few different things. Some examples could be maybe you make 100 tokens. You would say that you've gone so far over the top that you're maybe your opponent who doesn't have any board wipes in their deck, they could never hope to one for one down all of those. In fact, I found Imperial Oath to be a way of kind of manually going over the top in the white decks. Other ways to go over the top might include setting up a value engine or a loop or wiping the board and then getting a bunch of creatures back. Things like that. Ways to kind of provide this insurmountable advantage to yourself. So I actually had this experience at game day. I played against a very strong black-red deck, I think in round four or five of the tournament. It had just a bunch of the one-drop sagas. It had the two-drop rare one that makes the 3-3 three, three flyer, that makes the little rat tokens. Uh, it had uh, Hidetsugu. Honestly, a very strong black-red deck. I was able to stabilize a little bit, and despite being at 20 life, my opponent ended up scooping to a certain play that I had, getting back a season of renewal with the Colossal Sky Turtle. Now, that was actually a pretty common thing that my opponents would scoop to. Once I presented that loop, I would consider that the best way to go over the top in the format. Now, once the game progressed at that point, there was just no way they could beat something like that. This is kind of the, the extreme case. Six mana over two three mana chunks to get back one creature or enchantment from your graveyard. Like that's what the, the Season of Renewal plus Colossal Sky Turtle loop is overall. So for those that haven't seen it, Season of Renewal is two and a green for an instant. You can choose one or both. Get back a creature or enchantment card from your graveyard. So you can get back both. Uh, you get back a creature and an enchantment. Now that can be a an artifact creature and a saga, or it can be two enchantment creatures. So there's some flexibility here. Colossal Sky Turtle is the 7-mana 6-5 Flying Ward 2. You can channel it from one of the blue to return a creature to its owner's hand. That includes your creatures. Might come up sometimes. Or you can pay 2 and a green to channel, get a card back from your graveyard. So the loop here is if you happen to say, let's say you start with the Sky Turtle in your graveyard. Maybe you used its blue channel ability to bounce your opponent's creature. You can use Season of Renewal to get back that. Maybe that's your enchantment. And then, say, Fang of Shigeki, your creature. Bring them both back to hand. Season of Renewal goes to the graveyard. Now, maybe on another turn, you play out the Fang again, whatever. You now have the turtle in your hand, and you can use its channel ability, the two and a green, get a card back from your graveyard to get back the Season of Renewal. You're back to your original state. Season's back in your hand. The turtle's back in your graveyard. And the next time you cast Season, you can get back the turtle again and something else, whether it's a creature or enchantment. So this can pretty much make sure you draw your entire graveyard back into your hand. Now, there's some exile effects in this format. you got to be wary of those. But if you can set up this loop in the late game, you will destroy anyone that is not prepared to stop you. <laughs> like, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, talk and about card advantage. It's like that is a that is a card advantage engine right there. Yeah. You get to play your yeah. whole deck over twice, essentially. It's crazy. And this is an uncommon and a common. Like this is not that hard. It's not like this is two rares that we're talking about setting up an infinite, you know, recursion loop. You are bounded by mana, of course, but this is an amazing way to win the game. And you know, if your opponent is playing with one for one removal, for example, Kami's Flare to kill your Fang of Shigeki, and then you get it back with this loop, they just <laughs> they they feel as though all their work has been for nothing. And honestly, I've had tons of opponents concede to me demonstrating this this loop as it were maybe to the point where they just you know they knew no matter what card is left in their deck it's not going to stop <laughs> this loop right there's different ways of gaining life uh, you can get back like a lifelinking creature or an azusa's many journeys or something like that to maybe stabilize yourself you can get back creatures you can get back sagas you know you can even get back removal spells like the white arrest or or, or the black aura that gives minus one minus one to kill their little flyer or something like that there are tons of different uses for this loop and this i've found to be the, the true secret to going big mode this is what you need in, the, in your top end to truly go over the top yeah you can even grab that that four mana black aura that just destroys creatures just straight up oh yeah removal spell yeah totally this has easily become my favorite of the two card interactions in the set as we've mentioned in in our past episodes but there are you know plenty more you can set those other ones up using this the brutality of the two for one cards in this set kind of make getting back a card or setting up like a loop like this even more scoop worthy like imagine you set this up and then get back a behold the unspeakable or something and your your red white opponent just (laughs) looks at their empty hand and their maybe vanilla tutus on the board like they're never winning that game yeah, it does put your opponents in a really tough spot. I think it's a little unfortunate that we play so much online because these are sorts of things that you typically shortcut in person where you're like, hey, here's my loop. Let me show you what it's doing. Yeah. Give them the Six opportunity mana, get to concede. Six right? mana, get that back. Like, yeah. Give them the opportunity to concede. I feel like on Arena, a lot of people are just going to like, it's going to take a few activations of this for people to get it. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's wild and and it's a great way, especially if you have like, I mean, you do have to be kind of careful of some things, right? Like if you if you don't have a stable board, this is going to waste a lot of mana overall. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you won't necessarily have the time to execute it. So you do need to be stable. But once you're stabilized, yeah, your opponent, what are they going to do? I mean, the only way out of this combo, because it doesn't even involve resolving a creature, like the combo itself doesn't resolve re- involve resolving a creature. All you have, all they have to really stop this is counter spells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even from what I found, the best of the black-red decks can't really compete with this. My opponent had a fantastic black-red deck, one of the best ones that I've seen. And I don't know, it was it was pretty embarrassing. Like, uh, could not hope to outgrind this amount of value. So I found that there's a few different versions of this big mode, as I've deemed it, deck, where you uh, truly go way over the top. Now, let's talk about some of these versions, what they look like, and then how you can actually draft a deck like this. Well, before we get into that, I just I do want to mention the the other sort of maybe overlooked aspect of this particular combo is that technically it's monocolored, right? You you, oh, you only yeah. need the green yeah. activation on the Sky Turtle and Season of Renewal is a green card, so you can do this all in like mono green. You can do this in any combination of colors mm-hmm. with green, which is the beautiful part. Even though Sky Turtle is a blue green card, you don't have to think about it as one in terms of getting this combo to work. Yeah, good point. In fact, that kind of monocoloredness of the combo is what lets it, it kind of fit so snugly into all these different homes. So first up, green-white. 
I, 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 for each of these, I'm referencing a particular deck that I actually used the loop in and, you know, found it to be effective in that deck. And I was like, all right, this is a deck. Let's talk about it in the show. So first up, uh, a green-white deck that I went 6-3 with. This deck was nuts. I had some, some good green top end, Invoke the Ancients. Actually, this is the, uh, the deck from my Cracker Draft type thing. The one with Curve, the Boundless Sky. Uh, Yugen defends the Temple. I picked up the Wandering Emperor and Temeshi Reality Architect and Invoke the Ancients in this draft. This deck was stupid, and I actually started off 0-2 with it. I drew, like, the worst third of the deck in my first two games. I didn't see any, like, the rares or stuff. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was pretty bad. But then I rattled off six wins and uh, before ultimately losing two. The, the blue march where they managed to... I, I, I was going a little too big. Maybe I was playing with my food, I guess. And they ended up phasing out my whole board and swinging for lethal. So wow. I, I suppose I deserve it. Yeah, they earned that one. Yeah. But anyway, uh, as as this often features, uh, this one has Season of Renewal, but I did not have a Sky Turtle in this draft. However, this kind of similarly goes big enough using just the Season of Renewal, uh, which I don't think is, is, you know, you don't necessarily need both of these parts for all of these decks, but it's the idea of, of going over the top that, that I think is most important here. This one goes over the top mostly because of the absurdity of the rares. I mentioned that the brutality of the two-for-ones in this format makes recurring them even more effective. The, the extreme best case for a card that says return a card from your graveyard to your hand is when you have very good cards in your graveyard. So when you have more very good cards in your deck, you tend to want to have more ways of you know, getting them back if your opponent's killed one of them. So for example, if my opponent maybe takes care of my crew of the Boundless Guy and my Yugen defends the temple, Season of Renewaling them both back to my hand is almost going to be an instant concession from an opponent. Like, they've probably had to exert tons of resources to trade with the Kura and then the token it makes and the Yugen to kill the token that it makes and then kill the creatures. They got all the counters on it from the backside and then kill the dragon itself. Getting high quality cards back, which green and white have tons of with Season of Renewal, is a strong way to win. Now, this is a good place to mention what the early game package looks like. I had two Fang of Shigeki and two Commune with Spirits in this deck. And Commune... I say if you have like two or three communes, you can start looking at playing 16 lands. Commune is just a really effective way of finding your lands in the early game or finding your Fang of Shigeki or sometimes even your Bamboo Grove Archer, which is the, uh, the, the, the we have Fang at home <laughs> type uh, early game roadblock. Fang kind of acts as a removal spell in these decks. Uh, the one mana, one one death touch. Of course, it's an enchantment creature. This, you can trade off pretty liberally. You trade this for your opponents, two, three, four drop. Really, I'll trade this with anything but like a, like a virus beetle or, or like a token. Yeah, basically anything that's got more than one power and toughness and costs more than one mana, you're pretty happy to trade the Fang off with, especially in decks like this where you can just recur it back in the future. Yeah. Always feels great. I mean, if you happen to have a couple of Master's Rebukes, I'm a little more conservative with what I trade them off with just because Master's Rebuke goes mm, so far yeah. with Fang of Shigeki, but... Yeah, and, and you know it's it's funny we're talking about season renewal so heavily in this in this episode, but the more I'm thinking of it, the more it's reminding me of a little baby seasons past, where like mm. you know you're basically yeah. getting two cards back with it every time, and seasons past can do a lot more than that, but you did need to set that card up. So yeah, uh, that explains why I like it so much. <laughs> it's it's half a seasons past, right? Yeah, basically. There's some other cards that are particularly good in the green white version of this go big deck, Spirited Companion. We talked a bit in the previous episode about how Spirited Companion wants those late game, you know, decks, the ones that want to draw into more pieces uh, and glue it all together. 
when you trade off a spirited companion or maybe chump with it and get it in the graveyard, you can just get it back with season of renewal. Maybe that's your enchantment and then you get back some creature. You know, it doesn't matter what at this point you're 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 going way up on cards. And in those late game decks like this, where you want to keep hitting your land drops, you want to keep drawing into your bombs, then having a companion to draw you gas in the late game is exactly what you want. And I found Sunblade Samurai to be pretty effective in this deck too. An ability to, you know, gain your little life, make sure you hit your third land drop. And then if you top deck it in late game, you just got a 4-4 Vigilance, which is a pretty sizable body. Well, so that, I mean, green-white is obviously a solid home for this sort of go-big archetype. But we also have a few other ways to build this deck, right? So this next one here we have is, is green-black. Ben, why don't you walk us through the, what this green-black deck looks like, how it did what it does, and and what highlights you saw from the from the deck. Right, so this was a little bit more of a traditional green-black kind of mid-rangey deck. Uh, this one had kind of some lower-end stuff, too. It had a Dockside Chef, an Okiba Reckoner Raid, two Life of Toshiro, Tatsunari Toad Rider, some good value black enchantment stuff. Uh, but then pair that with a very similar package. Only one Fang of Shigeki this time around, only one Commune, but a generous visitor, a few Masters Rebukes. I actually had uh, two Fate of Antiquity, you know, just solid green removal in this deck. And a season of renewal. The top end, I had a Blossom Prancer, a Kura, and a Colossal Sky Turtle. And then a bunch of dual lands and stuff like that. So this was the deck that had the Sky Turtle and Season of Renewal loop. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ben just keeps opening good rares. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely crossed my mind. Yeah. I would argue that I, I have played enough Magic that I know when I you know, am getting very lucky. The green-white draft, I was insanely lucky. But however, I also would argue that I drafted it pretty well. This deck, um, I think something similar got set up where when you draft these black, green, blue, white, late game decks, primarily green based, if you are prioritizing these dual lands, especially uh, the Uncharted Haven and the, the and then also the game lands, you're able to set yourself up to splash. And, and make sure you're going to have access to these these uh, other colors. Grafted Growth as well lets you pretty easily get into other colors. So it, while it may seem like I am playing more rares than average, I have put myself in a position to take more rares than average. So yeah, I would agree. I, I think I am playing more rares than the average limited deck because my mana base can afford it. And I recommend if you want to play a bunch of rares, you know, draft some good lands. Now that might mean passing like a solid common maybe a removal spell and that hurts. But then when you get past that bomb rare in the late game, then you know, it's good. Yeah. It's actually interesting to hear you talk about it this way and to kind of think back on formats we've had recently besides neon dynasty that facilitated dual lands and such. It's actually starting to feel like contemporary magic sets. If they have dual lands typically play more like cubes or they draft more like cubes, right? You're, mm. you are prioritizing these multicolored lands higher than some normal main deckable cards because almost all the formats that we've had in the last couple of years that support multicolored lands are going to provide you opportunities to splash weird colors or to play more than two or or whatever and i think it's kind of an interesting maybe shift i don't know if that's intentional or if that's just like a bias that i'm seeing because we're talking about this particular deck right now but i feel like that's something we've noticed over the last few few handfuls of sets here mm-hmm yeah, Kaldheim, right? <laughs> if you were playing Snow, you were able to just take anything you open pack three and just jam it into your deck, and you'd probably be able to cast it. When you're playing this this kind of late game, basically any non-red combo that's green-based, you can kind of do the same thing. 
But unless you happen to open one of the invokes, which I'm starting to think that may be why we got this cycle of of four color pipped rares in the set. Maybe they realized that this late game like massive go big mode deck existed and they wanted to make sure they like if these rares existed in Kaldheim, I think if something similar would have happened. This didn't exist in Kaldheim, right? Whatever rare you opened in pack three, you could just take and put it in your snow deck. But you know, these these quad pips cards, you have to be in a very specific color. And even then, if you're in that color, you may have to warp towards it. Make sure you're playing like 10 of those mana source in your deck. So besides these shut up green black, and this one was, of course, dipping into blue a little bit, thanks to some dismal backwaters, the Uncharted Havens I mentioned. This one had the Sky Turtle and the Season of Renewal loop. Uh, I found you can also play a more Sultai-ish version where you're playing maybe more base blue and black and green uh, sometimes they call it the devil's mana vase where you're playing six of each uh, each each of the basics and maybe like a dual land or something so in this case uh, I, I was playing a little bit more of a soul tie good stuff deck i had the, the modern age leech gauntlet bamboo grove archer kappa tech wrecker okiba reckoner raid another dockside chef sadly no fangs in this one and then in this deck, I, I, I believe I began blue-green after taking a, a Sky Turtle and a Season of Renewal. Again, this loop present in this deck early. Uh, I was able to, to splash into stuff. I actually picked up a hit at Sugu, and I played it, and I got to activate it. I, I played a, a few red sources in the deck just, you know, <laughs> for, the, for the eventual option if I ever got to actually activate it. And I actually had a bit of a, a Shrine sub-theme in, in this deck as well. But... Again, this deck can be a little more awkward on the mana as you do require multiple colors in the early game. My fixing was not great. I didn't really have any dual lands at all besides the one that I think added red. And I got, you know, a little bit lucky with my draws. I, I think I probably should have been punished with this one a little more than I was. So this I was running hot on. I, I, I think picking up these dual lands early is just a, a great way to allow yourself to enter this, this, this archetype. For those that are out there wondering how, uh, dual lands, that's how you do it. All right, and then we also have, of course, your five-color crazy value deck from game day, so walk us through that one. Yeah, so we've got green white, we've got black green, we've got kind of sultai, and five colors. I think there's a few ways to do the five-color deck. You can have it be base green and then kind of play these maybe signpost uncommons of, of multiple colors. Maybe you have a Gloom Shrieker, but then you also have a Colossal Sky Turtle, but then you also have, you know, X and X and other other green x uncommons and such and rares and such now mine was a little more specific mine was a black green deck that skewed into five colors to play the kami war uh there's really exactly two reasons that you might want to have exactly five colors of mana to activate something the kami war or if you're you know if you're really feeling it kyodai if you can try to activate kyodai uh which i actually also saw someone do at that game day Five colors were, were, were going around. That was from the other pod, though. I guess they were the one that took all the dual lands from, from their pod. So this deck uh, that, I, that I drafted, again, I opened myself up to play three colors pretty easily. And what, the weirdest thing was red was flowing at my table. Actually, there was a Lizard Blades that I, that I saw in the pack with two cards left besides it. So the three cards in a pack and those Lizard Blades. No one at the table was in red. So the fact that I was able to set up into this, this late game deck, I attribute to the fact that I took dual lands extremely aggressively, as well as fixing. Uh, I played two network terminals and a grafted growth in this deck, and I had four duels. 
So this allowed me to feel comfortable and confident taking these other kind of little more off-color cards. I played an Imperial Oath in this deck, the, the white six drop that makes the two twos, and it was fantastic. I was always able to cast it on time, and it did its job. It kind of glued my late game together. Now, I had some other good early game value. I had a Fang of Shigeki, I had a Dockside Chef, I had an Okiba Reckoner Raid, and I communed with the Spirits. These four, these keep coming up. Just really great ways to shore up the early game. Okiba Reckoner Raid, definitely more of an aggressive card, but it slots right into these things too. Uh, in the two-drop slot, I had a Life of Toshiro and an Azusa's Many Journeys. Now, here's something that it's not necessarily required, but I actually had two lethal exploits. I had pretty much no ways of modifying creatures at all in this deck. These were just, you know, one in the black, give a creature minus two, minus two. And that ended up being good enough. Sometimes you just need to make sure you have something to do on turn two to guarantee you don't get run over. Kill your opponent's one drop or two drop just to make sure you survive to do your broken stuff. I had a Gravelighter. I had a, a Tatsunari Toad Rider. My, my late game, I'll be honest, this one... Uh, some nuts stuff. I had a Katose, the Silent Spider. I had Behold the Unspeakable. I had, of course, the Kami War and a Colossal Sky Turtle and a Season of Renewal. And the Sky Turtle plus Season of Renewal really just allows these decks to go bigger than a deck that is doing something similar. You know, they say uh, <laughs> there's different sizes of infinity. Uh, I'll let some, some math folks talk about that one in the Discord. And you, you all can argue back and forth about countable versus non-countable infinities. But... I would say that when you're trying to line up a your, your cards one to one to your opponents and seeing like, oh, here's one my two for one. Here's your two for one. All right. Here's your like one to one and and going card by card. Maybe my opponent also had a deck with like the Kami War and Kotose Silent Spider and Behold the Unspeakable. These like X amount of these X for ones. Right. Because my deck had the Colossal Sky Turtle plus the Season of Renewal loop. I felt so confident knowing that if I ever did wind up in a mirror match, as long as they didn't have the same, you know, late game loop, I would come out victorious. Yeah, I mean, most decks can't even hope to cast the Kami War once. That combo lets you do it more than once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, I do want to mention one, uh, I guess it's a big mode deck, but it's not quite in the same way as the others. Mardu. I found that sometimes if a Mardu deck can come together with just the right combination of pieces, it can go over the top as well. I found that tends to use experimental synthesizers. The one red that exiles the top card. It usually involves experimental synthesizers and a way to sacrifice them, such as Oni Cult Anvil, Sokenzen Smelter, and cards like that. Sometimes the decks will also involve Tempered and Solitude. <laughs> Honestly, these decks don't go over the top very often. They tend to be more aggressive. But sometimes you'll wind up in a more value-oriented, maybe one that's focusing on artifacts or enchantments to play, Kami of Terrible Secrets, that you know kind of do want to bring the late game in and, and maybe end the game a little bit later than the more aggressive, straight-up black-red decks want to. Uh, I had a good example of this. I was actually splashing white in a black-red deck for Naomi Pillar of Order. And I, I found that a pretty effective way to capitalize on artifacts and enchantments and go over the top in the late game using stuff like uh, the specific combo of only cult anvil and tempered and solitude is, is pretty strong. All right. So we've looked at three, three and a half. If you include the Mardu example, I guess we've looked at four and a half decks here today. So let's wrap this up, right? What, what does it take to get into the big mode deck? First, you absolutely need a co at least one copy of season of renewal. You usually don't really need more than the one copy. It kind of does its thing. If you have the one, and especially if you can pick up the turtle, the two of those together, you're, you're good with just one copy of each. But if you don't have that card, the deck kind of loses some of its 
some of its vigor, I suppose, right? It, it's it's a little bit baby big mode, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite have the same inevitability as having a season of renewal does. Plus, when you have a season of renewal in your deck, you feel safe. You know, you feel like no matter what removal they throw at you, your bomb is always going to come back. Yeah, season of renewal makes your walls so tall nobody can go over the top of you. So that's yeah. it's a good place to be. Next, once you've got the season of renewal, or maybe not in this order, but another piece to making this deck work is you need to have your your colors and you need to have your early game short up. So that involves picking up as many duels as you can as aggressively as possible in most cases. Picking up early game cards like Spirited Companion, Virus Beetle, Fang of Shigeki, Bamboo Grove Archer, Commune with the Spirits, all those sorts of early drops that kind of tie it together with those those dual lands to get your early game short up so you can make sure that you survive long enough to get to that big mode kind of level. Yeah, if you die on turn five, you're never casting a Season of Renewal. That's actually a good reason to only have one. Sometimes if you get stuck with two in hand, it just feels really bad. I found the Fang of Shigeki to be the premier removal spell for this deck. Now, that sounds kind of weird. It's kind of a reason why you don't really need the other, like, Kami flares or black kill spells here and there. They're not quite as necessary. I found Fang to just synergize so much better with this late-game loop, where you're able to get it back with Season and then loop it with the Turtle. It also costs one, so the turn you hit seven lands, you're able to set up the loop and then play the Fang again if you'd already traded off and found it in the graveyard. Now, I should mention Spirited Companion versus Virus Beetle here. Of course, Virus Beetle is going to be worse here. You want the Companion if you're playing the white version of this Go Big deck, uh, because it draws you into that gas. And as we talked about last week, the Virus Beetle denies your opponent a resource, which is very different than adding you yourself one. Plus, at this point in the game, sometimes your opponents don't even have any cards in hand. It's also an enchantment, so you can grab it with the Season Renewal without hitting your, like, going against your, your creature count for that mm -hmm. card, so you can use it to kind of cheat into creatures. Yeah, great, great points there. Yeah, weirdly enough, Bamboo Grove Archer, I found to be a bit better in, in this deck than I would have... Uh, like to admit it's not great it's definitely filler i would take an additional fang of shigeki over it any day but you know sometimes if you find yourself in a mirror match uh you'll have like two fangs your opponent will have one fang and like a flipped boseju which is also just a banger uncommon for this deck blossom prancer and boseju reaches skyward two of the other premier cards in this archetype yeah and it's it's interesting the the fang is sort of like showing your opponent that you have a removal spell in hand. Like you just reveal it to yeah. them and then you hold it up and then they're like, wait, I can't really play any of my bombs because as soon as I do, you're going to kill it. Fang of Shigeki serves a very similar purpose where while it's on the board, it actually does more than a, a single removal spell will do because it's going to stop attacks. And then when it does, when, when your opponent does eventually attack, it's going to actually kill something. So it's kind of nice in that way that it, it does what it, in this deck, what it needs to do in terms of delaying your opponent from killing you better than I think a traditional removal spell will. And then of course it being a creature and an enchantment means you can get it back with the sky turtle and season of renewal. Lastly mm -hmm. here, uh, you want to kind of pay attention as we're talking about the Fang of Shigeki as a removal spell, picking up removal spells early is kind of less important as long as you're picking up these creatures that shore up your early game. This deck doesn't really need too much removal. Those those creatures are going to do just fine. And then once you get lit, you're able to survive long enough to get to that late game, your late game combo and big beefy creatures are going to are going to seal the game up nicely for you. In other sets, it might be a discussion of whether to take the Fang versus the Master's Rebuke. Uh, in this set, I would argue Fang is the Master's Rebuke. <laughs> and, uh, if you if you've got the Fang on board, you've already Master's Rebuked your opponent, and it, you know what? It can't even kill it with the. Uh, with a kill spell in response to get a 2 for one out of it. So overall, in summary, the creatures that enchantments that you can get in late game in this format 
can really build you insurmountable advantage. So why not play them twice where <laughs> your opponent only gets to play their bombs once, right? So set up these late game loops using Season of Renewal and Colossal Sky Turtle. Get there by taking dual lands extremely aggressively, picking up off-color bombs that you can use uh, you know, via splashing from the dual lands, and make sure you survive long enough to resolve all of this stuff by taking fangs, companions, archers, virus beetles, and uh, other little things to ensure you survive into the late game. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out the Discord if you haven't already. Again, the link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. If you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. Thanks again to all of our patrons. And you can also support the show by sharing it with friends, giving us reviews on whatever platform you happen to be listening on, and check out our merch shop. We've got one of those too, which we don't really talk about that often, but it does exist, shop.draftchaff.com. Check it out. We've got a whole bunch of different stuff up there. Yeah, the hoodie's nice. You can mash with me. And if you want to reach out to us on social media, you can find us both on Twitter. Ben is at Betafish1. I'm at Zach E. Hackett. And the show is at DraftChaffPod. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll catch you next week. So uh, we've been talking about some media we've been viewing recently in our sign-offs. Last week I mentioned Paprika and Perfect Blue, which some people mentioned in the Discord they were also fans of. So excellent stuff there. Uh, I've been, you know, diving back into Cowboy Bebop. I haven't finished that one quite yet. But sounds like you... uh, You've had quite the movie experience recently. I know. I, I, I want to use this as a uh, as an opportunity to let you just spill your mind about the new Batman movie. Spoiler free, ideally, because I haven't seen it yet. Yes, this will be spoiler free, just so the listener is aware as well. Feel free to listen to this. I won't spoil anything from a plot perspective at all. Um, first up, I think the burning question is Robert Pattinson. How'd he do? <laughs> And for me, he did a phenomenal job. I think he was a great Batman. This is definitely a Batman film, not a Bruce Wayne film. So don't expect to get Mm. too much from his Bruce Wayne. But um, he did a great job as Batman, I think. Um, One of my big... Well, actually, I don't don't think I want to go into my biggest question for this film because it it does have a little bit of plot-related spoilery stuff. So I'm going to leave that one. Um, But there was a big burning question I had answered. I, I was hoping for didn't quite hit the mark with it but it got very close so so mm-hmm. i'm fine with that uh definitely didn't need to be three nearly three hours long they could have cut the the showtime down by about a half hour um and i'm not a, a big matt reeves guy like i i haven't seen any of his other stuff so i didn't know what to expect from a directorial perspective um there were a few things that from a shot composition perspective that i was not sure that i liked he loves shots that have bright lights from like a dark screen to like suddenly bright lights. They don't flash or anything. So I didn't think it was like bad from an epilepsy perspective, but he really loved to shoot where like lights were facing the camera. So like things in shot were silhouetted and it actually, there were a couple times where because you're in a dark theater and it was a dark scene and suddenly there's a flashlight shining at the camera where you like actually wince because it's too bright on a big screen like that. Mm. Um, and it's not one shot. Like, it's a repeated thing. He uses it quite frequently throughout the movie. It's very clearly a stylistic choice of his. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing or that it makes the movie worse. I'm just, it's just a piece that uh, I think is is his style. And that's interesting. It makes me want to see more of his stuff to kind of compare how it, whether the, he just did that for this movie or, or otherwise. Now, this is something, Ben, I think you will really appreciate. The score for this film mm. was phenomenal. They The main, like, theme song... Yeah was something close to like four notes and Hmm. it was so 
on the money. Like it was perfect for what this film was trying to go for. And it actually, now I almost don't want to say this because I'm curious if you'll hear it. And if I tell you about it, you're probably going to be biased to go into it, hearing it this way. Mm. But I guess I'm, I'll I'll put it, I'll put it to you this way. Do you think you're going to see it anytime soon? Probably. Okay. Next like two weeks, maybe. Okay, perfect. So pay attention to the score. I'll just say it like that. And afterwards, tell me if it reminded you of anything. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay.